0: Good morning. Good morning. Um, really good to see you today, and I'm excited to be here and speaking for the first time, actually. So, uh, yeah, really excited to be here. And I know many of you. Uh, for those who don't know me, for, uh, here's just just a little bit about me. I've been in Oxford for twelve years now, and first came here as a student. Did English literature, literature first time round. Worked for a bit, uh, was teaching a bit at the King's School, went to yeah, went to Australia, came back and studied at Oxford Brookes to do a masters, which kind of led into the job that I do now up at the Nuffield Orthopaedic Centre, which is to do with getting some of the surgeons there linking up with surgeons in ten countries in Africa, from Ethiopia down to Mozambique and Zimbabwe, to really create more opportunities in, in surgical training there so it's a bit of a leap from poetry to to surgical training but one thing I did learn at the time was sort of blagging it so kind of it's still going it's still going so well just to just to warm you up this morning I've got a few pictures and if great um Jeremy you could put these up and uh, there's a clue in these pictures as to where we're going this morning so what do you think links these four pictures together any guesses? Hands up. Gold, gold we've got. Uh, yes, I can, I can see the train of thought there, but it's not gold. Well, these are all items that were lost and found on trains in London. So would you believe it? We've got, um, we've got false teeth. I know they're not the false teeth, but we've got stuffed puffer fishes, an outboard motor, and a bishop's crook. So I don't know quite how you what you were thinking to get onto the tube with these in the first in the first place, much less to then forget about them afterwards, but there you have it. So so what we're talking about this morning is lost and found. And the way that God goes after and searches for lost people, he finds them and he rejoices about them as well. So we're in Luke. We've been in Luke for a very long time now, since last September. We actually almost finished Luke two weeks ago in that Steve James gave a talk to sum up the themes through Luke. And you can listen to that online. It was really good. What we did do though was to save some of those parables to for August. So I'm starting off this well, we've had a few already, but through the rest of August we'll be looking at the parables in Luke. And we're looking at two today, which actually belong in a set of three. And that's because we're saving the third one, we're building up to it, and Dave Bickford will speak on it in two weeks' time. Cool, so Ree's going to come and read the verses to us. They're also going to be up on the PowerPoint, or you, and you can turn to them as well. So it's Luke chapter 15,
1: verse 1 to 10. Today's reading is from the uh, book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country? and go after the lost sheep until he finds it and when he finds it he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me i have found my lost sheep i tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven Over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. The parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me i have found my lost coin in the same way i tell you there is there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents amen thank you lost and found
0: i wonder what's the what's the most annoying thing that you've ever lost and maybe found or maybe not found for me it was When I was in Australia, actually, my brother-in-law is a sailor, and he took me out on on a dinghy sail. And you're not supposed to fall in, but I fell in. And I was wearing contact lenses at the time, and trying to find a contact lens in Sydney Harbour is just not going to happen. So that was was on New Year's Day. Three days later, I'd already booked to go on a sort of an outdoor adventure-type trip up in the Blue Mountains – And I thought, I was planning to wear my contact lenses, but obviously I couldn't. So I was wearing my glasses, and the plan was to remember to take off my glasses before any of the jumps. But because I was trying to psych myself up so much, I completely forgot about this. Lost them on the first jump at the beginning of the day, and in a really big, deep pool. And despite a few people sort of making an effort to sort of dive and look for them, um, they were not going to come back either. So I had to wear these really big, chunky Prescription sunglasses for the rest of the trip and I'm really quite short sighted so they're really quite thick and chunky so for me that's probably one of the most inconvenient things to have lost so these two stories about being lost and found are told by Jesus in a very specific context right at the beginning we see that he's with three different groups of people and uh, He's with some tax collectors, he's with sinners, and he's with Pharisees. So the tax collectors were really not very popular, because they were getting rich at the expense of everybody else. They were representing the Roman oppressors and governors, and often known for using deception and extortion to get what they wanted. So they were not, they were not popular. The, the sinners that the Pharisees are pointing their finger at, would have, been, would have been those known for breaking God's law, for for failing, for, for just having a really bad reputation and say, these are the people that Jesus is sitting with. But notice that both those two groups of people are leaning forwards to hear more about what Jesus is saying. In the chapter just before, he's been given quite a, a challenging invitation he said come and follow me but it's going to be really hard there will be sacrifices and he said he who has ears come and hear so actually the people who want to hear more are these people the tax collectors and the sinners but then the pharisees who are the most influential religious group are not happy about this they're pointing the finger and saying who is this man he's He's receiving sinners. He's eating with them. It's pretty scandalous in their eyes. And they're outraged because in their minds, they've got so many rules, which in theory are supposed to help them to stay clean and holy for God. But actually, they've added on to God's laws so many of their own and just completely got tied up in this. So they want to keep their distance from people that they see as who would be unclean. And they want to stay away. So that's their problem. They don't want, they understand why Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. So that's why Jesus is telling this parable. He wants to, it's an answer to their accusations and the fact that they're pointing the finger. So he tells a story about a shepherd, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. I think we've got a picture of a lot of sheep on the next slide. Not sure if that's 100, maybe more. But my first question would be, how do you know one is missing? (laughs) How how do you know? Having been a a teacher, that is one of your worst fears when you take kids on a school trip, that one of them is going to go missing. And I confess I've also been... All the times that you grumble about all the language students in town clattering up the streets, I'm one of their... Well, one summer, I was one of those activity leaders. Louise, you were as well, taking taking 40, 50, 80 of them around central Oxford. And you do think, what if I lose one of them? And um, so the first thing is he knows one is missing. And instead of thinking, well, it'll be fine. Let's just leave it. I've got 99. He decides instead to go and to find it, so he leaves the rest of them. And we don't, we don't know who he leaves them with, but presumably they're relatively safe, and he's happy to leave them compared with that one he's really anxious about. who is was lost and he's missing. So he goes, and he searches for that one sheep everywhere. He hunts high, low, he's calling out to the sheep. It takes ages. He keeps going until... Yes, he finds it. He finds the sheep and he brings, puts the sheep on his shoulders and he brings it all the way home. And we see in the action of putting the sheep onto his shoulders, he's giving comfort and maybe that sheep is weak, maybe the sheep is anxious, frightened, maybe injured. We don't know, but it's an act of, of gentleness and tenderness in bringing that sheep back on his shoulders. And when he gets home, what would you have done? thought well pat on the back maybe a a drink good i found that sheep maybe a quiet night no he's not up for that he wants everyone to know that he's found this sheep he wants everyone to celebrate with him it seems a bit over the top to us maybe but not to this shepherd he's he's that he's that overjoyed and and rejoicing that he wants to throw a massive party just for this one sheep that he's found and so Jesus then Jesus then explains what this parable is about to us. He says, just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So he's, about, he's talking about heaven's outrageous joy over just one person. And I chose this picture of rejoicing. I don't know if you recognize it. It's from... Five years ago, when there were those 33 miners who were trapped underground in in Chile for for days and days until they were rescued. And this is the moment that the first one of them came out. I remember watching it and I remember crying because I think there was something in that moment which speaks about being found. So Jesus explains there's the joy over one sinner instead of those 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The meaning of what he's saying is, is more like 99 people who think they don't need to repent um, because that's sort of consistent with what he's saying in the rest of Luke. So it's a complete contrast to the Pharisees' attitude. The Pharisees want to keep those tax collectors and sinners at a distance, but Jesus, instead of rejecting those people, he brings them close. And he wants to, and he, goes off, and he goes after them and shows that God values these people, even if the Pharisees don't. And so we say several things about God here. We see that in that sort of the parallel that this parable is really about God. We see he cares about each person. And thank you, Chrissy, for sharing this morning that word which was spot on about each, each person matters to God. And there's a place in God's heart for each of his children, which actually only they can fill. We also see that he's really tender and compassionate in the way that he brings home that sheep. And that's the kind of welcome that God gives. And also that he loves a good party. That I think sometimes we forget how joyful God is, uh, that he's... That he, This is is what makes him happy. I don't know what what you might remember, the best party that you've been to has been. A particularly special one for me was in Vietnam. On my mum's side of the family were Vietnamese and my mum and dad originally came from Vietnam. They left as refugees. They were in Hong Kong for about six months until they had permission to come to the UK. So all of my life I've grown up apart and separate from my mum's side of the family, although I've, we've visited a few times. And on this occasion, we were visiting, and it was my 20th birthday, and one of my cousins' 10th birthday, and it was my parents' wedding anniversary as well, their, 20, their 25th. So we just had a really big party, and there was just something about family being together, which made it really special. And God's parties are pretty much about family. It's about him bringing his family back together one by one there is a theme of repentance in here there is a theme about actually there's a call to to receive god to turn around to say yes to him and that's part of being restored to god but the emphasis is on what god does god searching god finding and when he finds each person he rejoices and throws the best parties so the second parable is picks up some similar points with the lost coin, this coin is, again, is one of ten. So, you could again, you could argue, well, maybe it's not such a big deal because she's still got nine other coins. In terms of value, it really matters to her. Um, our scholars sort of guess that the one coin is maybe worth ten days' wages. So, I don't know, what would, what would ten days' wages be on someone on minimum wage here? Maybe that would be between five or six hundred pounds. Worth looking for, right? Um, so... Or it could have been one of the coins she was given as a as a wedding present. So it would have that value to her. It's special. It's worth looking for. Yeah. She lights a lamp. It's pretty dark. Maybe like trying to find something in your tent and transform in the middle of the night. And um, so she's what the point of her taking putting on a light and searching everywhere and sweeping and checking everywhere is that it's more than a token search. Yeah. It's more than just sort of shuffling things around a bit she's really looking everywhere and she's not happy to settle for having the rest of the coins and when she finds it she has that yes moment as well and she calls all of her friends and neighbors to celebrate to her and it's like this coin is more important that to her now than it was maybe before so two stories about being lost and found and what god does in searching and finding and rejoicing. And so what do we learn about God? We, we learn that he's, he's really merciful. He values the people that others don't. He values the outcasts. He values sinners. He values each one and, and goes after them. And also that he's really determined. He's got his eyes on the prize. He's going to search until he finds each one. And he doesn't get bored of looking, not like a sort of a, a really long game of hide and seek that you kind of get bored of doing. I've got a young nephew and niece, and that is literally their favorite game. They want to play it again and again and again. I get quite bored because I'm always the one who has to go and look for them. Um, but God is not like that. He, he keeps searching, and he searches until he finds. And thirdly, that God loves rejoicing. And that is his heart attitude to when he receives each sinner home. And I'm glad that Sue shared that word about actually, sometimes we, about what it's like to be, to know God's acceptance really deep down, to be able to come near to him and know that he's he's, that smile and that delight of God. I think some of us can feel like maybe God has accepted us. Or he sort of let us into his family, but really we're still in his bad books somehow. And actually, I think this parable shows us that God's joy at having us back is richer than that. It's deeper. There's it an unrestrained joy that he has about us being in his family again. So how can we respond? I think there's three three possible responses that we could if you consider this morning, the first is that call to repentance, that call to turn around and come back to God, whether it's for the first time or whether you're far away and you know that God is, is, is reaching out to you and wanting you to turn around and say yes to him again and leave all the rest behind. Second is, do you know that God is joyful and delights in you? Personally, I think there's kind of turning points in receiving this revelation through as we, as we walk with God. And for me, I remember it quite clearly when I, was, when I was little. I think the first turning point was when I was seven. I first thought, and I grew up in a Christian family, that this is real. Uh, I think what God is saying is real, therefore it applies to me. And that was when I first made a decision to follow God. There was another turning point when I was about 13, and I was in a youth group meeting where we were watching a clip from the Jesus video, which was about Easter week and the run-up to the crucifixion. And this video they'd sort of taken the sound out and instead looped in a fairly soppy song, it has to be said. It was Everything I Do, I Do It For You, the song by Brian Adams, which is a big, you know, a big ballad. And yes, it's an emotional song, but God really spoke to me through it about actually, it's for me. It's not, yes, you did it for everyone, but it's for me as well. And I, I kind of experience in deep way something of God's love for me. And God really searches everywhere to find each of us. And I think it was important for me to know that because I knew it was amazing that he'd found my parents because they became Christians after they came to the UK. They grew up in in Vietnam and wouldn't really have had opportunity to hear about him so it's amazing for my parents but I needed to know that God was amazing for me as well so that's the first thing responding to God repenting second thing do you know it do you know it for you personally and if not we can pray for you today we can pray for you to know that in a deeper way and third is the invitation to join in the search really join in God searching and finding and rejoicing but also I think it challenges our perspective. I think sometimes we can, we might be motivated to do that already, but it feels too big for us, and that's because it is, and that's because our part in it is really quite small compared with what God is doing and what he's already done. He's way ahead of us. He's gone ahead. His Holy Spirit is already active in the lives and the hearts of people around us to call them to him. So I think for us, it's have we got eyes open spiritually to be able to see where People are like those, a bit like those tax collectors and sinners, and starting to listen, starting to respond, and starting to want more, and to have that privilege of introducing them to Him. But really, it's all about what He's doing, and He's way ahead of us in this, and He's He's far more determined than we are, and He doesn't give up on people. And joining in the rejoicing. Well, we're going to worship again later as a, as a start, and. Actually, I think sometimes I'm guilty of it, of just maybe being a bit unimpressed or difficult to impress. When you, when, you hear, when you hear good news about what God has done, you think, polite round of applause, that's quite nice, that's quite good. But actually, we're, we're called to rejoice, which means an action by us to feel something of what God feels, to show joy, to step into that and not kind of stand on the edge of it. All the, the like the shepherd and the and the woman they wanted their friends to share in that same joy and God calls us to share in that joy with Him as well. So I think it's a call for us to throw ourselves into celebration and worship as well. So Alan, I wonder if you could come up and join me before we we go into some worship again later. I wanted to, us to hear some up-to-date stories about what God is doing and Alan was leading the amazing team working with the kids at Transform last week and I wanted us to hear about what's been going on
2: Awesome, Um, there's one that I didn't have on my piece of paper that I wanted to share as well Um, This time last year we were working with some of the kids at Ignite and there was one particular child that we spent last year praying, praying, praying that God would speak to the kids, speak to the kids. And there was one kid that went away feeling actually really quite distraught that they hadn't heard speak from God. This year they come to Ignite and they're like, oh, I heard from God this year, I'm so happy. I was like, so come on. We like, yeah. um, we put together a prophetic wall that the kids could like, write down what they heard from God. And I spent this morning trawling through about 15, 16 kind of huge rolls of paper. Um, but this is some of the stuff that kids have written on there. One of the leaders prayed with me about hearing God, and now I feel that he is going to speak to me. God told me, don't hide in the corner, go in the middle and meet with God. The sentence, I'm living by faith, really stood out for me this evening. When I got talking to my mum and dad about feeling different at school, I realised that God wants me to be confident in my faith. This was really simple, this was, God was pulling me in. God gave me a picture of a yellow keep out sign that he's turned now into a welcome sign through his cross. When I pray about being forgiven and giving my life to Jesus, I feel a rush of the Holy Spirit. I feel comforted by knowing that God has forgiven me. It's an awesome feeling. I feel like God isn't in my life and he's never talked to me and I want him to. When we read things like that, you're like, actually these kids are still desperate for God even though they don't feel him so far. Sometimes when I'm at church and the person at the front is talking about something, sometimes I feel, "Mm, do I really believe all this? But when I was worshipping, I was touched by God and I really want God to come into my life. This kid, again, desperate, just, dear Lord, please may you give me a message from you. And it said, I felt like God was saying, don't sit around being bored, explore his wonderful world. These kids just heard so much from, um, you know, some evenings where kids are going, oh, I heard from God. And they go away and they come back, I heard from God again. And, it's like, and they, go to that. they go, I heard from God again. And it's like, cool, awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was just a real privilege to work with the kids this week and actually see them just kind of grow in their faith. And um, here's my own personal story. Um, I struggled going into Transformers. You know, I thought it was really quite difficult running around like a lunatic. Um, Prep my talk for the last night. And um, for those of you who have heard the story already, well, deal with it. Um, <laughs> the first night um, we were there, worship was kind of going all right. It was fizzing a little bit. And for those of you who were at Transform, you might have seen our awesomely large cannon that somebody built for us. On the back of that, there was a little fuse. And I just felt God was saying, actually, you know, I'm lighting this fuse. And it may take a little bit of time to burn down. But when it gets to the bottom, that's when, boom, you know, something's going to happen. So I push forward into that. Um, so I shared this with the kids. I shared it with the team that was working with us. Um, and that was the, kind of our theme for a couple of days. We said, you know, we want to keep pushing into God. We want to keep pressing in. Last night comes, I'm due to my talk. You know, I did my prep, Mike. I did. Okay. Um, just as we are about to start worship, um, the monitors, both the screens go out. I'm going, I don't know what to do here. Tim Brown, bless his heart, runs around looking for fuses, trying to replace it. I'm there going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to try, completely change what I'm going to say. I've got a video, got a nice, uh, prepped it properly. And uh, one of the kids comes up to him and says, I just had this word from God. He said, uh... He said, when the fuse burns out, at which point I'm there going, oh, really? (laughs) That's when something happens. So I'm I'm just there at this point just laughing. I'm feeling God's really got his finger on me as well. So, yeah, we had a great time at night, and the kids did meet with God. Um, Yeah, and that evening did, yeah, loads of kids met with God, and it was brilliant. So thank you.
0: Yeah, that's really good, isn't it? It's good news. I wanted us to hear that because it's a reminder that God... Is, is searching and wants to speak to kids and young people and people of all ages, in all countries, all backgrounds. And we heard about from Henry and Simon about God speaking to people in Japan as well. So he's a God, his heart is unbelievably big. There's space for each of his kids and he wants each of his kids to know him and to be with him. So I'm going to leave it there and hand it back to Graham and also to the worship team. Thank you.